Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come as the light and illuminate the sacred page. Come as the fire to cleanse and purify. Come as the dove and bring us love and peace. But above all, come as the Spirit of Jesus and bring glory to his name and enable us to do the same. Amen. So we're in the Gospel according to St. John and chapter 16, verses 5 to 15, which Brian just read to us. I'd be very glad if you'd have them open in front of you as I speak. And uh, page 1084, John chapter 16 from verse 5. Excuse me. It's a horrible thought to try to imagine life without someone you dearly love. On the 7th of June, 1917, two baby girls were born. Their names were Peggy and Mary, and they were identical twins. For the next 59 years, although each married and had a family of her own, they were virtually inseparable. They were so close, so remarkably close to one another, that they would even share sometimes the same dreams. And then one of the twins, Mary, became ill and died. And the other, Peggy, did not know how she would survive without her beloved twin sister. But by God's grace, she did survive, even though she's always said that losing her sister was less of a bereavement and more like an amputation. But the remaining sister is, if not going strong, still going, and had her 94th birthday last Tuesday, and she is my mother. But she dreaded the prospect of living without her dear twin sister. The disciples were having to get used to the prospect of life without Jesus, their friend, their guide, their teacher, their master. There they are, sitting around the table, sharing one last meal with him. They listen with increasing alarm as he tells them that he must leave them. On top of that, he warns them that they can expect to be treated with terrible hostility after his departure. We spoke of that last Sunday evening, if you were here. But they've got to carry on without him, and they're expected to witness on his behalf before this hostile world. It really does sound like mission impossible. No wonder they're so upset and confused in these chapters in John's Gospel, chapter 14 to 16. 
And no wonder Jesus then says in chapter 16 and verse 6, because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. He understands how they're feeling about it all. But then in verse 7, Jesus says the most amazing thing to them. It is for your good that I'm going away. How can that be so? How can it possibly be good that he's going away? Well, he explains, unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, that sets things up a little bit, and I'm now planning to, ser- planning to serve up two courses this evening. I want to explain to you firstly why all of this, this going away and sending the counsellor, was good for the disciples. And then I want to suggest to you, secondly, that it's good for us too. Good for the disciples and good for us. First of all, then, why all this was good for the disciples. According to chapter 14 and verse 26, counselor is just another name for the Holy Spirit. He has one or two different names in this section of John's Gospel. Spirit of truth is yet another. But this name, counselor, is a very interesting one. The underlying word in Greek is parakletos. It's a notoriously difficult word to translate into English. If you were to look up this passage in six different English translations of the Bible, you might find that word parakletos translated in six different ways. Comforter, advocate, helper, companion, friend, strengthener, Counselor, that's seven, but you get the point. But if we look at the context, one thing becomes very clear. The role of the Holy Spirit as paraclete is to to act as counsel for the prosecution. Look at verse eight. He, the counselor, will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to act, this counsellor, this paraclete, as counsel for the prosecution in the world. Let me remind you again that this, all this was spoken the night before Jesus' trial and execution. When, the very next day, Jesus found himself mocked and ridiculed, tortured and spat upon, convicted on trumped-up charges and hung up to die, evil, sin, seemed to have triumphed. When the Jewish authorities accused Jesus of being a troublemaker and a blasphemer, righteousness seemed to have been turned on its head. They were convinced that they were in the right and that he was in the wrong. When those in the crowd shook their fists and shouted, crucify him, crucify him, they were passing a judgment of guilty on this wise teacher, this compassionate miracle worker from Nazareth. On that first Good Friday, the world and the prince of this world, Satan, 
did its sinful worst. It delivered its unrighteous verdict. It judged the Lord of glory, worthy of death by execution. But fast forward now, just a few short weeks, to the day of Pentecost, and that account from our first reading. The Holy Spirit is poured out, just as the prophets and just as Jesus had promised. Speaking by the power of that same Holy Spirit, Peter testifies to Jesus, crucified, risen, and ascended. And there is an explosion of conviction. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 tells us, they were cut to the heart. And those in that crowd now realize how wrong they had been to treat Jesus with such unbelief. They now see that God has vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead and sitting him at his own right hand, showing him to be in the right after all. They are persuaded now that it's not Jesus who is in the dock at all, but themselves. And so they say to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And of course, Peter replied, it's too late. You should have come to your senses a long time ago. There's no no hope for you now. Did he say that? Well, no, he didn't, did he? In the name of Jesus, he offers forgiveness and new life. Repent, he says, and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of those sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it was good for Peter and for the rest of the disciples that Jesus went away, in order that all this and much more could be accomplished. That Jesus went from the cross to the grave, and from the grave to the sky, in order to send this counsellor, this paraclete, this Holy Spirit. Good, not least because they found that they could now do far more for Jesus than when he had been physically present with them. So that's the first thing. It was good for the disciples that Jesus was going away because he would send the counsellor, the paraclete, who convicted the world of guilt regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. It was good for them. But now for the second thing. It's good for us, too, that Jesus went away and sent the counsellor. It's good for us. Let me spell this out in a few particulars. It's good for us because the Holy Spirit continues to convict people of guilt regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. A man was once accused of a serious crime. He pleaded not guilty, and a court hearing took place. After the counsel for the prosecution had finished making out the case against him, he changed his plea to one of guilty. Well, the judge was furious and asked him why he had wasted the court's time by changing his plea so late. And the man replied, I hadn't realised the case against me was so convincing. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. 
to those of us who may be very ready to acknowledge we're not quite perfect. He comes along and says we're very far from perfect and in need of a very serious remedy. That's how the Holy Spirit works. I don't know how you feel about this. I'm sure that some folks are not happy about it at all. Some people only ever want to think and speak and hear about nice things. Speak to me about love and joy and peace. Not guilt and sin and righteousness and judgment. But you know that's a very serious mistake. Let me give you a multiple choice question. Just two possible answers. It's pretty easy. You develop a sore on your body that won't go away. Would you prefer, A, to go to a quack doctor who tells you, there's nothing to worry about, here's an elastoplast to cover it up, now go home, relax and enjoy yourself, and that will be 50 guineas, please. Or, B, would you prefer to go to a proper doctor who examines you thoroughly, tells you that although it is sinister and the treatment may cause you some discomfort, there is every hope of a full recovery? Well, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? But that's, again, how the Holy Spirit works. And that's why the great Methodist evangelist John Wesley declared, before I can preach love and grace, I must preach sin law and judgment. It's good for that reason. It's good for us because the Holy Spirit continues to convict the world in those kinds of ways. But now secondly it's good for us because this convicting work of the Spirit is actually a positive and not a negative thing. Satan is known as an accuser, he'll very happily convince you and convict you of sin, but in order to ruin you, to condemn you, to put you down, to destroy you. But the Holy Spirit does not convict in order to condemn us, but in order to convert us. He speaks to us of guilt and sin and righteousness and judgment, not with a view to ruin, but with a view to redemption. His purpose is to bring men and women to see and feel their need and so turn to Jesus. The verse after the most famous verse in the Bible, that is to say John chapter 3 and verse 17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And the Holy Spirit, being the Spirit of Jesus, continues to this very day in exactly the same vein. Now you perhaps know that Rico Tice is uh, uh, coming to spend an evening with Christianity Explored in just a couple of weeks' time. And so I'd like to pass on to you something from... uh, Rico's uh, ministry uh, teaching on this particular passage. Um, He speaks of a young woman called Camilla, who was 29 years of age. She had grown up uh, in a Christian family, surrounded by Christians, and yet, in a very polite and charming way, had, for all that time, kept God at arm's length. 
To her family's surprise, and probably to her own surprise, she found herself at a, on a Christianity Explored course. And it got to week four. Rico was leading this, uh, this course. Got to week four, and there was an explanation of the cross of Jesus and also of sin. Rico went round the table. Any questions or comments for anyone? And he got to Camilla. And she said this. I cannot believe how I have treated God. She burst into tears and had to leave the room. But that was a turning point. Ever since that day, for the past 15 years, she has been utterly committed to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convicted her in order to turn her round and receive Jesus joyfully and steadfastly. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that attending Christianity Explored or being in the same room as Rico Tice will always have precisely that effect on people. But I do want you to know that whenever and however the Holy Spirit convicts you, it will be for your good. It's good that this convicting work of the Spirit is a positive, a healing, and not a negative, destructive thing. But now thirdly, it's good, this going away of Jesus and this sending of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the senior partner in evangelism. In chapter, back in chapter 15 and verses 26 and 27, Jesus has already spoken of a partnership between the Holy Spirit and Christians. He, the Holy Spirit, will testify to me. You also must testify, he said to his disciples. But it was already perfectly clear who was the senior partner in this. And it's even more clear in tonight's passage. In fact, in our passage this evening, the disciples hardly get a look in. It's the Holy Spirit, really from beginning to end, who's doing this convicting and converting work. In fact, we might almost call the Holy Holy Spirit God the Evangelist. And a very remarkable evangelist he is. He does not remain in a pulpit or on a platform. He comes down and moves among the congregation, speaking, moving, convicting according to the inmost thoughts and needs of each individual. Great preacher called, of a few years ago called Martin Lloyd-Jones once pointed out that the Holy Spirit can achieve more in a single hour than we, with all our organisation and hard work, could achieve in a lifetime. This is not, of course, an argument in favour of disorganisation or laziness, but it is a reminder that whatever our efforts may be, we are utterly reliant on the Holy Spirit. One of us plants, another waters, but it's God, the Holy Spirit, who gives the increase. 
Maybe we need to remind ourselves of this if we feel discouraged in our efforts to share Jesus in a world that seems increasingly hostile towards him. Maybe you feel very isolated as one of the few Christians in your family, in your class at school or college, or in your work team, in your place of employment. But it's no cliche at all to remind ourselves that one person plus the Holy Spirit is always a majority. How good it was then that Jesus, after his work of atonement on the cross, after his glorious resurrection from the grave, after his triumphant ascension to his Father's right hand in glory, sent the gift of the paraclete, the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, to be with us forever. It was good for those first disciples to know that, huddled as they were together in that upper room. And it's good for us too, as we face the challenge and adventure of being Jesus' witnesses today. Let us pray. Again we pray, come Holy Spirit, and just as you transformed those first disciples so that they could speak from beginning to end of Jesus and his atoning death and his glorious resurrection and his triumphant ascension. So may we have that confidence and experience that power in our lives to believe, perhaps as it were, for the first time and having believed to love, to obey, to serve and witness, come what may. Amen.